Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm hanging out with my really good friend. We've only known each other a few years, but it's like one of these people you just hit it off with. Uh, Jason Shepard, by the way, that is spelled S-H-E-P-P-E-R-D. Uh, he doesn't tend sheep. Well, he does, but in a different way. It's the Lord's sheep. And uh, Jason is is uh, leading a, a, a very big movement of house churches and doing it in ways that uh, many of us haven't considered, but many of us could do. And we're, there's a lot to glean from this. And so I hope that you'll really listen, take some notes, and do some good with what you're about to hear. So, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Ralph, I'm honored to hang out with you here. I love it. I know you were here in the Woodlands with us a few weeks ago, and we got to hang out together and at my house and other places. That was awesome for me. And then to hang out with you here is great, too. So thanks for having me. Well, I'm really, really glad that you're here. I, I want you to just unpack uh, some of those things that you're doing. We, we talked a little bit before, but start with the Church of House Churches. Tell us a little bit about uh, the, the theology behind it and then how you started and, you know, kind of the progress from, from building to building to building. And then we'll move into uh, your theology of space and some of the other things that I know that you want to talk about. Great. And thanks, Ralph. And I know that I can keep talking forever about this. So feel free to interrupt me if I'm not pausing enough. But uh, I started Church Project in 2010 um, with just 40 people, no outside resources, no sending agency, no partners at all. But um, I'm 49, so that was 13 years ago. So it was 36. I've been working in some prevailing model, traditional type churches that were excellent in so many ways by many different definitions. But my study of scripture, of church history and the church around the world just got me to a place where I, I couldn't do that anymore. And um, the super centrality, the institutionalization of the church, I couldn't find it in the Bible. I couldn't find it in history, especially in movements, and I couldn't find it around the world. So I just left. I jumped out of a plane, metaphorically, and um, wanted to go after this. I did a deep dive into uh, the church, and I had been through seminary for many years and a lot of seminary stuff, a lot of study. I had never really studied ecclesiology. Nobody ever said that word after many, many years of the church. But this was my idea. The, the church would be based on this uh, theology of church, this doctrine of church and ecclesiology. We're carrying all this beautiful doctrine in what I think is a broken ecclesiological vessel. So I wanted to define the doctrine of ecclesiology. I was giving my life to the church, but I really couldn't even define the church well. I could tell you what I did, but not why, biblically. So um, I coined a phrase, the church of house churches, uh, because that's what I found in scripture. And um, I would see that Paul would go into a town, he'd share the gospel with people, a couple of people would become believers. He stayed in Ephesus three and a half years. I uh, stayed in another place, maybe a year, but most of the time he stayed a very short time, sometimes even one day. He would raise up a couple of leaders, sometimes overnight, although he would, I say that Paul would always, he, he took so much responsibility for the people he shared the gospel with. He would always visit them in person by proxy or by pen. He would always go back. If he couldn't stay long, he would visit them again in person, or he would send a proxy, Titus, Timothy, Crescens, whoever, or he would visit them by pen. He would continue discipling them in one of those three ways, person, proxy, or pen. And so, Paul would plant a church, though, and he would plant a house church, but that house church would grow. And so the elders that were overseeing that one house church would then become the elders of a movement of house churches in Galatia 
or Ephesus or wherever. And so we had one church connected by a common overseers, common presbytery, common elders. But I have seen what's happening in America is a reaction to the institutionalization of the church. And I agree with this reaction. But the overreaction has been to autonomy and dependence. In fact, in many ways, we have criticized the massive institutional church for, which is this, you know, individual overseeing all these things without accountability or plurality. We're actually doing that in micro churches or house churches. And so we have these individual leaders that don't have accountability. They have autonomy and there's not plurality. In addition to a lack of accountability in this overreaction to the micro church or individual house churches, we've also seen impotence. I mean, a, a house church or a micro church cannot, doesn't have gravitas to do much in a city, but connected together, there's this beauty. And so there is a hybrid that we're doing at church, product, a macro micro hybrid. We are one church made up of many house churches. So every house church pastor, I'll get into that as much as you want. House church pastors are pastoring house churches, but they're overseen by elders with uh, accountability, support, encouragement. They need that. They want that. And so we're individual in many ways. We're semi-autonomous in many ways, but connected with authority. So we are a church of many house churches. Well, now let me let me press because people are obviously thinking, well, you know, how real is this? And, the, and, and numbers always come into play. So I want you to unpack because I know that what you what you start with forty people, now it's about four thousand on a weekend who are coming together as a sort of a convention of house churches, um, yeah. you know, meeting in the temple and then house to house. So un- unpack a little bit of that. Get into a little of how much authority and, and what kinds of ministry are going in on in the house because a lot of people are thinking when we get into this kind of stuff. We still institutionalize baptisms. We institutionalize all these ecclesiology, you know, all the churchy stuff that we do. And then you 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 have a little, you know, eat some food together and talk about the Bible for half an hour. And then, um, but but I know that you're planting churches of house churches. Uh, you're yeah. planting church projects uh, in Houston, not too far away from you. And this is the, the thing that, that trips a lot of guys up. The easiest thing in the world to me is to hive off a bunch of people and start a new church down the road. The hardest thing in the world, at, at the same time for many people who haven't done it, is to do the same thing because they're fearful of losing money. Uh, I was talking to a pastor recently, and he's got a guy that he doesn't know what to do with on his staff, a, a really sharp guy. And uh, he's going, well, you know, I, I think there's some interest in going. And he's talking about a well-to-do area in that city. And then, and then you know, the fear, you can just sense, smell the fear if I send a guy to this area, then the people who come from that area aren't going to come to our church anymore. We're going to lose money. And so, you know, faith and fear. I, I heard a guy in, in my church recently saying that faith is a war and that, that we got to wage the war of faith. And there's a couple of times Paul says that to Timothy. So just, you know, get, give us a little bit of the numbers and, and then also the responsibility that you're driving out to the to the furthest extremes of your movement that you can. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's a lot of depth in there. So I'll start answering parts of that and redirect me as you will. You know, we're a church of thousands of people. We have no phone number. We have no receptionist in a foyer. There's no way for people to come to us. Um, the, everything flows through house churches. House church pastors do weddings and funerals. All benevolence happens in house churches. Uh, everything flows through the house church. And so 
when people say, oh, it's just a small group structure, that's great. Well, take away all the other centralization other than a Sunday gathering, and let's see if, in fact, you can continue existing. And most churches can't. They are very, very centralized, and everything flows through central. And so to get connected to a church project, you get directly connected. You can't even email. My, my name's not on our sign. It's not uh, on our website. You, you can't even get to the staff. I mean, we, you go directly to a house church, and house church pastors are doing all of that. We have a staff behind the scenes, really, that supports what's happening in house church. And we have some crossing across house church ministries that we'll talk about, like what is what does a high school student do? And what does a high school student in house church 2, 12, 22, 32, 42, what do they do? Do they need other high school friends? Yeah, they do. Do they need to you know go to a camp? Yeah, they do. And so we support that in some ways across house churches, but we're, my, my studies that led to a church of house churches also led to what I would say, Ralph, is an ecclesiological DNA, an eDNA. And this eDNA has at least three strands that I believe should be working for all people in all places at all times. I mean, this DNA, I think that Jesus intended, I can't unsee it in scripture now. Everywhere I look, it's there. And I think he intended it for every church to use everywhere. And I, I, I can teach it out of Titus and other places, but Titus is the easiest and clearest for me. And Paul told Titus, the reason I left you in Crete, I'm going to tell you, I mean, I got the great apostle Paul, church planner Paul, telling Titus why he's about to be a pastor. I think we should listen. The reason I left you in Crete was that you would straighten out what was unfinished, appoint elders in every town as I directed you, and teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. And so the reason I left you is to straighten out what was unfinished. I do think Paul wanted Titus to create some structure around what he started. And um, people say, no, this should be organic. The most organic thing in the world is our human body. I was pre-med for, for years. I, I understand we're made up of skeletal, neurological, vascular, respiratory, muscular, all these systems in our body, but they're autonomous. We don't even think about them. Uh, the systems serve the body. The body doesn't serve the systems. In many of our churches, we're an organization and that means that we are actually just running the systems. But in an organism, there are systems, but they're invisible, autonomous. We don't think about them. We just keep our body healthy and the systems naturally function. So the way that a church of house churches functions is that 40 people get into two house churches. And I started that church project with that. I wasn't a house church pastor. I'm not a good one. I wouldn't be a good one. My job is to equip the people to do the work in ministry, the priesthood of the believers. So we are the one D is decentralized, decentralized away from primary place and primary priest. Paul came out of a primary place, primary priest theology, but now he said, you, you're, you're the priest of the believers and you're the temple of the Holy spirit. And so we're decentralized from primary place and priest. And then the second D is distributed pastoral leadership. As Paul told Titus, appoint elders in every town. He wanted a pastor for all the people, wherever they live. And so that can't be me. He didn't want Titus carrying the weight of walking around Crete and pastoring all the people. And he didn't want all the people coming back to Titus to get pastored. And so Paul wanted Titus to appoint pastors. So my job was I need to find I found two men who pastored these house churches. They did incredible. One was Randy and one was Rob. Rob is still a house church pastor 13 years later. And, you know, we just started talking together about what does it mean to be a little church and what does it mean to be a pastor? What we're doing at Church Project is we're taking a group or a class and we're making it a church. We're taking a teacher or a leader 
and we're making them a pastor. So we're taking the lids off of groups and classes, and we're taking the lids off of leaders and teachers, and we're making them pastors and churches. And that's what you do. And so we're like, Rob, you're you're going to the hospital. I know that you're that you're in the oil and gas industry as an executive. I know that's what you're doing every day, but you're pastoring this group of people. You have 20 or so people. I mean, if, if they're in the hospital, you're caring for them. You're making sure your community is caring for one another. All benevolence is happening in your house church. One-on-one discipleship is flowing through your house church, right? All, dis- all community is flowing through your house church. People are going on vacations together. They're having meals together throughout the week. And so you're cultivating this community, Rob and Randy. And so that's what we did early on. And then two became four. And then they just continued to multiply. And so now, you know, we have thousands of people and, you know, 70 or so house churches right here. And we've been able to cut off some of those house churches and give them their, they have their own place, their own hub, if you want to call it that, that we don't, we don't have another word for it. They're just a, they're other church. They have their own elders. They have their own uh, Sunday gathering place. I mean, people there don't even know about me. And that, that's how we started, Ralph. I'll, I'll stop and let you redirect. Well, you know, I, I, um, at first I, I do want you to tell, cause I know you're doing this around the world now. And, uh, and I think that's really good. I have an observation that, you know, depending on how you read Titus, the first chapter, uh, one of the things that Paul says is what remains, because he was the principal leader for a while, and it was all leader-centric for a while. It had to be, because that's what an apostle does. And there is, it it appears when you read it, that some people had fallen away already, because they weren't being shepherded, they weren't being pastored. And so this element of um, of, of what you're describing, the the called out ones, the ecclesia, uh, is super powerful in terms of sustenance. People aren't going to make it if they don't have yeah. this sort of close family fellowship with with a leader. I think uh, you know you're describing what we did in in Hope Chapels. We would uh, get up and brag if you're in the hospital, I'm not coming to see you because I'm not your pastor. Right. And uh, and we pushed weddings, we pushed funerals. I, you know, I don't want to spend Saturday morning doing weddings when I can disciple a bunch of fanatical guys that are, you know, going up over the top of it. But as you um, you, you you hit on something when you said that we're elevating a class to a church, and and that's a real hard conceptual thing. For people who came up in what we would call the prevailing model church, especially if you went to a Bible college or a seminary, you, you've got yeah. the idea of what a church is, and it's very institutional, and you got people who have super capacity, because I believe that we have, we have in a church of a couple thousand that I pastored, uh, looking at Ephesians 4, I think there's probably 300 pastors. We managed to activate and mobilize a little over 100 at a time. I, I think there's probably a half a dozen to 10 or 12, maybe, uh, evangelists. There's a couple of apostolic people in, in that mix. Uh, you know, we have a, a bunch of capable teachers. We, you know, I believe all these gifts are there in the church to equip the rest of the body to, to do ministry. Yeah. But then we, we institutionalize everything. Here's a class, you're a teacher. Or here's a Bible study, you're a Bible study leader. And and the church doesn't function as a church. Talk talk to us, talk to us from your passion about that. Not just your intellect, but but go ahead and un, you know, uncork it. <laughs> well, I I I, uh, I thought I might be un, un, too uncorked already, but all right, know, go for it, man. 
You know, I, I think um, I, I believe, Ralph, spiritual gifts are primarily designed for smaller spaces, not stages. Yes. I believe that we're we're trying to figure out how to put spiritual gifts on stages when I think they were designed for smaller spaces. Like if you walk into any one of our house churches, somebody in there is going to have the gift of hospitality, going to have the gift of generosity, going to have the gift of administration, going to have the gift of teaching. All these gifts can function when we have these little churches. But when the only place for us to operate spiritual gifts is on stages or big platforms, that's why we create more and more programs because we need a place for people to operate in their spiritual gifts, but not in a house church. All these things are happening here, not through programs, but through the organic relational uh, aspects of the church that I think you can only find in house churches. And so, man, it's just been awesome to see people come alive, living in a smaller community, because they're frustrated that I couldn't operate with my spiritual gift on this big stage. And um, no, the, the smaller spaces are where most of the letters were originally written. I will say this, though, Ralph, I think that many people in the house church, microchurch world, or who at least have recognized some things that are really majorly wrong with the institutionalization of the church. We have forsaken the beauty of the gathering because we, we conflate a, a, a worship gathering with centrality. And I actually think they're independent. I, we have seen that you can have a, a worship gathering, a corporate worship gathering while still being decentralized. I think that's a big breaking point for a lot of people. They're conflating the two. I mean, Old Testament's full. I mean, God commanded people. He loved all the people coming from all the places to worship together. New Testament, they were doing it every week. We can't unsee that in Scripture. It's it's all over the place. It's happening around the world, and we're going to be doing it in heaven. So the gathered worship of all the people in all the house churches is a beautiful thing. And you can still do that very simply like the early church. It can be discipleship-focused like the early church. Um, and you don't have to add centrality onto it. And I believe our Sunday gathering, for example, supports house churches. We train house church pastors during a Sunday gathering while we're teaching. We protect all the doctrine of a house church because we're all wrestling through the same passage of Scripture together in the house churches throughout the week. And so a Sunday gathering supports house churches. I, I'm finding a lot of people who are starting house churches who have forsaken the beauty of the Sunday gathering. And I'm like, wow. Uh, it's distinct. It's unique from what happens in a house church. A Sunday gathering does not accomplish that many things. But the things that it does accomplish are crucial, are important, they're vital. And I think that we can, we should have a beautiful, simple, gathered worship, biblical teaching experience, and still be decentralized and distributed pastoral leadership in house churches. You said something that really rings bells with me, and that is that uh, we're protecting doctrine and we're equipping people in the Sunday gathering. That's what I've always believed. That's what I've always done. But in so many churches, the Sunday gathering is sort of a thing that we do. It's more of an entertainment thing. And then we have these little home groups that meet, and, and maybe they study the Bible. Maybe they watch old videos of old Sunday gatherings. And right. there, there isn't, you know, what we learned is if we could just link what goes on on Sunday to what goes on in, in the house church, uh, we call it mini church. And it, it, by, by just tying it together, and we, we were able to simplify things. We were able to cut a lot of money out of our budget. I just heard of a church. Uh, a guy was talking. In fact, he was he was speaking in our church last weekend. And uh, he's from a, a very large, large um, 
kind of a revival centered church and um, a little bit more Pentecostal. And he, he's going on about how in their church, they have 11,000 people. And um, in, in those, they have 800 staff members, 800 paid staff members. And it's like, oh, hold on, I'm having a problem with my phone. I have this thing on my phone that um, blocks calls. And every morning, it um, it reminds me it, by by ringing my phone number. And I just have, I have it on airplane mode, and the stupid thing just went off again, but it won't do it now. I didn't even, I didn't even hear it. That's great. Okay. So let me start up again. Um, you, you just touched me on you touched on something that's really close to my heart. And that is that the Sunday gathering is a, is a place for protecting doctrine, a place for equipping um, our members for ministry. And I think that if we do it right, that Sunday gathering, which in many cases is sort of an institutionalized entertainment oriented and entertainment could be good Bible teaching. You know, you come and get fed or come and get spiritually uplifted. I think you come to get equipped and what I see people missing is the, the linkage between the yeah. Sunday gathering and what happens in the house church, which we called mini church in, in my day. And, um, and we drove everything we could into the mini church. And as, as, as we did this, we were able to simplify, reduce the, the, the percentage of people in staff to the percentage of people in the congregation. So I, I was in a, uh, a meeting in my own church where I attend now in San Diego, and I heard a guy from a, a really great church. It's a revival-oriented church, um, very, very charismatic. And he was, you know, proud of his church. And he's on staff there, and he's talking about they have 11,000 people that are coming on the weekends, and they have 800 staff members. And so that's about uh, that's about uh, uh, a, a one to 13 ratio for every 13 people in the church you got one paid staff person they must attract a lot of money and so i did the numbers on what we were doing with 2,000 people in kaneohe and 25 people and so ours was one staff person for every 80 people i yeah. i would guess that your numbers are probably even better than that in terms of smaller slimmer staff for a lot more people uh talk to us a little bit about how that works out well, you're right. Uh, our, <laughs> I, I gauge the number of staff like a golf score. Um, the lowest we can get to to be healthy, that's a win for me. And um, when we're getting, if we would get too many staff, we're doing the work that we should be equipping people to do, or we're doing work that we don't need to be doing. And um, we live with radical generosity. We say here, simplicity for the sake of generosity. And um Part of the reason we can live with a radical generosity is because we're not paying everybody to do all this pastoral work. And um, it, it used to be a bragging thing to talk about how many staff you have. For me now, it's it's pretty much saying how overweight you are. And I, I, it's embarrassing to me that people brag about that. Um, how few staff can we lead a large church in a healthy way? I mean, our ratios, you know, Ralph would probably be about twice of what yours were uh, right now is where we are. And I'm, I love that. And we, we were very slow to hire people because we are distributing pastoral leadership. 